Pastor Jason. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast from United Church. We pray that this blesses and encourages you in your walk with God. If you'd like to find more information about our church, including our address, upcoming events, or find a place to give, feel free to visit our website at fergusunited.org. God bless and enjoy the message. Any of you young people remember what chapter we spent a lot of time in last week? I had you all look it up. We all had our Bibles in hand and we all looked it up. And then Romans. No. It was a chapter. <laughs> chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Oh, you got to say it louder. Oh, yeah, see, I can't read your mind. Try as I may, I have not figured that one out yet. All right, so we're going to go back to Romans chapter 8 today. I really don't intend for this to be any kind of series, but there's just a lot there. Um, so last week we focused in on, we read a large portion of Scripture, but we were in verse 15 primarily. Um, I'm going to read that. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So we spent our time last week really focusing in on the honor that it is for us to be able to call Jesus, us to have God as our Father. Remember I told you in, in a lot of ways, just Christian culture has kind of made that a cliché or a phrase that's uttered at the beginning of a prayer without a whole lot of thought. They, oh, Heavenly Father, we and then they go into what they really want to pray about without taking the time to really understand that we have access to God as a Father. And that's incredible. We, we walk through just a couple of things that the Lord was uh, good at showcasing to us as a Father. So this is review. I'll ask questions. There were three things. Do you guys remember what any of them were? Sister Keisha, I'll let you off the hook since you weren't here. There's, there were three attributes of God as a father that we focused in on last week. Can you remember what they were? See, I could just preach the same messages over and over again. Okay, remember, what's it say? We received the spirit of a... Uh, let me read it again or I'm going to mess it up. The spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So the fact that it was an adoption lets us know what? Provider. What's that? Provider. Well, provider was one of them. He's a good provider. That was point number two when we looked at Matthew 6. But the fact that we were adopted... Um, denotes or showcases that God made a choice. He's a father that wants to be with his children. He chose to, to adopt us as his own. Remember, you don't accidentally adopt someone. You don't wake up one morning and go, wow, we've adopted a child. That is a very intentional process. And so there was, there was the fact that he wanted to be with his children. There was the fact that he was a good provider. And then there was one more. 
had to do with, with blocking the doors. He's a good protector. He, in more defined, he provides us, his presence provides us a place of security. Uh, I'll read Proverbs 14, 26. This was from last week. But it says, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall find a place of refuge. So it, there's something about the father being present. And this is maybe a message for our society today, but the, there is a level of security that comes into a home when the father's there, if the father's doing his job. Today, I want to continue to highlight this relationship between us and God, father and child. But I want to turn our attention to us as the children. So I'm going to continue to read from verse 15. I'm going to go down and read the next two verses. Romans 8, 16 and 17. It says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. <clears throat> so we are, we are the children of God. And that also can become somewhat cliche. We can just say that. We can rattle that off. Oh yeah, I'm a child of God. Oh, there's the song now that's popular on the Christian radio. Where, and we can sing it and we can say it without really stopping to think about, okay, well, what does that entail? What does that mean? I'm a, I'm a child of God. So we're going to look at a couple things today. Verse 17 specifically says that we are heirs of God. Now, when you're reading that in your Bible, it doesn't mean heirs of God. Because that would be weird. We're, we're heirs of God. Can somebody help me out? What does that mean? And what does it mean to be an heir of someone? You're next in line. Okay, that's a good way of putting it. Um, heirs of God, we have access to so many things because we're heirs of God. So now, while we live this life and moving forward into eternity, we can access things as children of God that we did not have access to when we're not in relationship with God. Um, yeah, I'll get into some more of that later, but we're going to look at three of those things today. Three inheritances of a child of God. So if you got your note thing there, I know the girls were asking me today what the title was. If I was going to put a title on this, it would be long. Um, inheritances of a child of God. Number one, we're going to talk about the Holy Ghost. Romans 8, as we read through that, and if you went back and read through that now, it talks over and over again, starting at the very beginning of the chapter, all the way through the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. Well, what Spirit is it talking about? Talking about the Spirit of God that we have access to when we're born again. Uh, our key verse in 15 tells us that it was the Spirit of adoption, Okay. When we inherit the Spirit of God, that's when we become the children of God. The placement of the word is key. Or I'm sorry, the placement of the word when is key to that statement. So I'm going to cause you to think a little bit. I'm going to say that. I'm going to read that two different ways and see if you pick up on the difference. 
when we inherit the Spirit of God, we become children of God. As opposed to, we inherit the Spirit of God when we become children of God. See, there's two lines of thinking in our world today, and there are circles of people, sincere people, who I, I believe have a love for God, and they believe that when I believe on the Lord Jesus, I immediately receive His Spirit into my life. And unfortunately, that, that belief system does not line up with what the Bible teaches. But there is a connection. And when I receive the Spirit of God, I then become a child of God. And that is the spirit of adoption. Now let me read verses 8 and 9. I'm still in Romans 8. I want to try to validate what I'm telling you. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So I don't say this offensively. I don't say this casting stones. But if an individual is walking around referring to themselves as a, as a child of God, and they do not have the gift of the Holy Ghost, the spirit of God dwelling in them, the Bible says that that's not true. He's none of his. It doesn't say that God doesn't love them. It doesn't say that they've never had an experience with God, but they are not his children at that point. So it is very, very vital that we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is something that we have access to when God says, I'm going to adopt you as my own. That's a very special thing. Paul is the author of Romans. So God is inspiring Paul to write the book of Romans. He's also the author of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 he spends a great deal of time describing this same relationship of father to child. Um, he further describes the concept of God's children receiving an inheritance. I'm going to read Romans, or I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, chapter 13 and 14. We had that exercise last week where I took all the Bibles out of my office and gave them to you. We love the screen, but I want to encourage you guys to be looking this up for yourself. Use your Bible. Be familiar with that Bible. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now there's a word there that at least you young people aren't familiar with. Us adults are familiar with it because we've purchased homes. We've done large financial transactions. And that word is the earnest. Of our inheritance. Well, earnest, by definition, is a token of what is to come. Okay? And we're going to walk through that and dissect it a little bit because it doesn't really clear it up. A token, by definition, is a small part representing the whole. 
So let's put those two definitions together and we can find out that the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost that we receive is a small part of everything we're going to receive. When? When the redemption of the purchased possession takes place. When we go home to heaven to be with Jesus. So if the Holy Ghost is just a small part, what does the Holy Ghost do in our life? And as good apostolics, we're like, it makes us speak in tongues. Well, that, that's the evidence that we've received the Holy Ghost. That's not why God gave you the Holy Ghost. There's more to the Holy Ghost than speaking in tongues. That lets you know you've got it. Acts 1 and 8 tells us that it's the Holy Ghost that gives us power to be witnesses for Jesus. Uh, Romans 8, back to Romans 8. And verse 26 lets us know that the Holy Spirit in working in us makes intercession for us when we don't even know what to pray for. When we're, when we're praying and, and we feel led to speak in tongues, that's not because we don't know what else to pray in English. We're running out of things to say. No, God will begin to stir the Spirit within us and He will intercede on our behalf through the Spirit. Um, also in Romans 8, if you just read in context those first eh, 20 verses or so, you're going to see that it's God's way of leading us. God leads us through the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me for all the coughing. Going to John chapter 14, we see that it's the Holy Spirit that is a comforter to us. Verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 26 refers to it, the Holy Spirit, as the comforter, and also it lets us know that it's going to teach us. It's going to, the scripture says, it will draw all things into remembrance, all the things that we've heard of, of Christ, all the things we've heard. So if you've ever found yourself in a position where there's a question asked, or you need to explain something to somebody, and a scripture comes to your mind, or a truth, a concept from God's word comes back to you and you're able to articulate that and explain it. That's not, I mean, you are very smart, but that's not because we're all just so intellectual and we retain everything we ever read out of the Bible. The Lord is helping us. He's drawing things to our remembrance. So the Holy Ghost does a lot for us, and that's just the earnest. It's a small part of what's to come. See, in the presence of our Father, we're going to have more power and more clarity and more guidance and more comfort. The Holy Ghost, as good as it feels and as great as it is, is just the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to experience when we have an eternal connection, physical connection with our Father. It's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> the second thing that we inherit as we become the children of God is the authority of his name. <clears throat> Kids, young people, have you ever told your siblings what to do? Yeah? I, I had to chuckle the other day because Haley was giving Jace some kind of instruction and he was completely ignoring her. I, I think he was clicking a toy. It was rather obnoxious. But she's telling him to stop and he's just clicking away and clicking away. And finally he says, you're not my parent or something and you have no authority over me. <laughs> He's communicating, you're, you're speaking to me, and you have no authority over you. You are not my authority. Now, there's a big difference when you're able to go to your sibling, and rightfully so, say, Mom or Dad said, do this, or don't do that. 
you carry with you the authority of a parent. That's, that's a lot different. When we become the children of God, the scripture lets us know, we're going to read a few scriptures here, but it lets us know that we then have access to the authority that comes with the name of Jesus. It's dangerous to try to operate in the authority of Jesus without this relationship. We read in the book of Acts of, of a couple individuals who were trying to cast out devils, and the devils looked right at them and said, we know Paul and we know Jesus, but we have no idea who you are. And actually attached themselves to the individuals who were out of relationship, but trying to exercise authority. That's a dangerous place to be. But within relationship, there's great authority. Let's go to Mark chapter number 16, verses 17 and 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You see, there is no power in this world that is not subject to the name of Jesus. Now this... Sometimes you say you're Pentecostal and people wonder, you guys handle snakes? Can we put this in context for a moment? No. <laughs> no, we do not. This does not say go out and, and pick up dangerous poisonous snakes and play with them. That, that falls into the lines of thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Don't, don't be foolish. But it does give us an example in Scripture. What, what happened to Paul when he was collecting firewood? He got bit by a snake, a viper, a poisonous snake. And he shook it off into the fire and he went about his business. And through the power of God, he was not harmed. It doesn't say go out and drink poison. That's dumb. You're going to be in the hospital at best. Don't do it. If you accidentally ingest some things, there is power in the name of Jesus. And so there's protection from that. So it goes on and on. But... Like a spoiled child, sometimes we need to uh, remind the forces that are against us just who our dad is. It's like somebody who, I don't know, their dad's a, I've never encountered this, politician or, my kids better not ever do this, but if your dad's a preacher or what, do you know who my dad is? Well, that, that sounds very foolish if you're talking about anybody but Jesus. But when the devil comes running his mouth and when life starts throwing obstacles at us, sometimes we need to step back and even for our own benefit, remind ourselves yeah. and the thing coming against us. Do you, do you really know who my father is? I'm a child of God. John chapter 14, verses 11 through 13. Jesus says, believe me that I am in the father and the father in me or else believe me. For the very work's sake. Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
When I stop and think about some of the things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, it's mind-blowing. Healing blind people, opening deaf ears, raising people from the dead, right? And we read these passages of Scripture and we're like, wow. And rightfully so, but Jesus speaking to his disciples says, listen, the things that I'm doing, you're going to do. Matter of fact, you're going to do greater things than what I'm doing. Now, that's a little bit intimidating. It's only intimidating, though, when we're looking upon ourselves to accomplish what we're thinking about when we, when we read that passage. When we understand that it's the, the authority of the name of Jesus backing us, well, that's a different story. I don't have the ability to heal or deliver. I don't have the ability to do any of those things, but my father does. So when I come up against those things or I come into those situations, I'm not acting upon my own authority. You're not being called upon to act upon your own authority, but upon the authority that's given to you by your Father. Prayer is the vehicle through which we deliver the power of His name. Say that again so you can think about it. Prayer is the vehicle through which we deliver the power of His name. Proper prayer aligns my will with his. People get really confused about scriptures like this because they say, well, I prayed and it didn't happen. I prayed and, and I didn't get what I asked for. I prayed and, and this didn't happen or that didn't happen. Prayer that aligns with his will is backed by the authority of his name. Prayer that's prayed selfishly or even only according to my will, God never promised that he would answer those prayers. James writes this, From whence come wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust, that war in your members? Listen to what he says, You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain you fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. So first problem is they weren't even asking God. So no prayer. No prayer equals no power. No prayer equals no authority. All right. And then secondly, in verse three, he says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. So he said, on one hand, you don't have the things, the power and the authority that you're looking for because you don't ask. And on the other hand, you don't have it because when you do ask, you ask for your own sake, according to your own will, for your own glory, for your own gain. We should not doubt the power of his name simply because we fail to understand his will. God is true to his word. When we pray according to his will, and let, me, let me say it this way. When we pray and don't see results, we should consider two things. Number one, am I outside of his will? Because then I'm in the position of trying to operate in his authority without being in relationship. If that's right, then I need to ask, is my prayer in line with his will? And this is difficult because we don't always understand the will of God. We think that if a person is sick with cancer, 
it has to be the will of God for them to be healed. And so we pray, and they're not healed. And we have a hard time, because we're, we're so defined by our time on this earth, grappling with how that can be the will of God. Why is it that two people come up, both of them, both of them sick, both of them have, have ailments, and, and one is touched and healed, and one isn't? I don't know. I have to trust God. I have to trust His will. I have to trust that he's, he's working in their lives in different ways. But I also have to trust His Word. And if I'm praying in alignment with His will and I'm in proper relationship, I have access to the authority of His name. Consider the parable of the prodigal. We looked at this last week. It's hard to talk about this father-child relationship with not touching on that parable. The prodigal son never lost the love of the father. The father always loved him. <clears throat> the father always desired for him to come home. The father always desired for a restored relationship. He did lose the authority of the father's name. We know that because when he came back, he received three things. He got shoes on his feet, and a robe on his back, and a ring on his finger. And that wasn't because the father wanted to give him, you know, a little bit of bling and, and make him shiny and, and glimmer. No, that was a, a very special ring. That was a signet ring. That represented when he was in town, when he was out and about conducting business, that, that signet, that style that was on that ring let people know that he could make decisions that were backed by the authority of his father. And so while he did not lose the love, he did not lose the father's desire, he did lose the authority. So when I'm, when I'm out and about, if I'm not doing things God's way, I lose that authority. But when I come back and that relationship was restored, when the father-son relationship was, was put back in proper order, it was um, solidified, it was girded, it was strengthened, however you want to say it, by a re, uh, re-delegation. <laughs> I'm failing to find the right words here, but it was reallocated to him. It was given to him again to be able to operate in the authority of his father. <clears throat> so as children of God, we need to stay aligned with the will of our father because in doing so, we have access to the most powerful name ever uttered. And finally, the third one that I'm going to point out today, this is just three things we have access to. There's, there's so much more. But the third one is eternity with him. Eternity with him. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. As children of God, we have a place in the Father's house. That's important to understand. We're all going to be impressed, I, I think, with the streets of gold 
and the jasper and the crystal and all the other beautiful ornamentation of heaven. But the best part is we're going to be in the Father's house. We're going to be with Jesus. I want you to note the terminology of those verses that I just read. Um, let's look at verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. Does that seem odd to you? In my Father's house are many mansions. Have you ever taken the time to think about that verse of Scripture? See, we, we read past these things so quickly, and so then we close our eyes and we have this image of heaven, and there's all these golden cul-de-sacs with mansion, 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 and we all have our own mansion, and, and we've heard these things talked about over and over again. Yep, I'm going to get my mansion, and we're going to put up a privacy fence, and we're going to keep everybody else out because, because that's, my, that's my mansion. So, oh, I might not have much on this world, but, but I'm laying up treasures in heaven. And we pull that scripture a little bit out of context. And man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to have me a mansion. You know, that's not what this verse is communicating at all. In my father's house are many mansions. That word that is translated mansion could also be translated dwelling place or I'm going to bust everybody's bubble here. Room. Room. In my father's house are many rooms. And so we gotta, we've got to remove this image of the golden cul-de-sacs out of our mind for a moment. And recognize the beautiful thing about making it to heaven. It's not going to be my own little private mansion where I can keep everybody else out. It's going to be the fact that I've got a place in my father's house. I, got, I, can, I can live with dad again. I've I got a place in my father's house. And all those things that we talked about last week, the provision and the security and the desire to be with us, we're going to get to dwell in that and live with that forever. It's not just me in my little corner. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm living in the father's house. I got a room. I got a bedroom. Jesus went to get my room ready, not build my mansion. I know, it's a game changer. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Everybody say dead. It's talking about people that have passed away up to this point. That ye sorrow not. Even as others which have no hope. This is said oftentimes when someone passes away and it's difficult for us to deal with. But at least we have the hope of heaven. We've got the hope of eternity and being reunited. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that ye which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So I bring, I'm bringing a comforting message today. We're going we're gonna to gather together in heaven. We're all going to go to the Father's house. We established last week that the presence of our Father produces security. I wonder what heaven's going to be like. When we're finally there in the physical presence of God. Absolute security. No more fear. No more pain. No more stress. No more doubt. No more worry. No more insecurity. We're in the Father's house. So I want us to, to think about that a little differently when we hear that term, child of God, our Father which art in heaven. That really needs to settle down into our spirit because the Lord puts a lot of emphasis on that relationship through Scripture. We've got to become like little children in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to view Him as our as our father. The prodigal lost his way because he failed to maintain a proper perspective of the father. When you read through that, he allows himself to believe that the father's rules are holding him back. If he could do things his own way, life would be better. He allowed himself to believe that there were greater rewards than what the father was offering him. He allowed himself to believe that he could do better on his own. And we could point our fingers and laugh and say, oh, how could he think those things? But we deal with the same temptations. We look across the street and we see somebody that's blessed or, or we hear somebody talking about what they did and they make it sound so fun. And we've got all these temptations and all these things pulling us in these different directions. We look at the, the Word of God and we see sometimes rules and regulations and we say, well, if, if, if God just wasn't holding me back, life would be so much better. May we not have to experience life outside of relationship with the Father to gain the perspective that the prodigal had at the end of the parable. May we be wise enough to look at something like that and see what Jesus was teaching because this young man got everything he asked for. He ran after all the things that were supposed to be better. All the restrictions of the Father were lifted. He made his own decisions, did his own thing, and yet at the end of it, he came back to his dad and said, I don't even have to be your son. I'll just be your servant. I, I, just, I just want to find some way to get back into the Father's house. You see, when he had his opportunity to run after the ways of the world, he got to the end of that rope, and all he wanted to do was get back to Daddy. The spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. Well, it sounds so childish. Well, it is. That's okay. He's so much higher above us that there's no, there's no shame in that. Crying out to God as our Father. Jesus, you're our Father. He's a good Father. 
It's a high honor to be called his child. And he gives us access to so many wonderful things as his children. Let's stand. We're going to pray. We're going to talk to the Lord. Maybe your prayer today is just thank you. Thank you, Lord, for choosing me. Thank you for adopting me, taking me on as your own. Whatever it is that the Lord's dealing with you about today. Maybe you find yourself struggling with some of the temptations that this prodigal dealt with. You hear me today, you can, you can get rid of those thoughts in an altar. Don't go chasing after foolish things and leave the security and the safety and the provision of the Father's house. Wherever you are today, let's, let's express some gratitude to Jesus before we go. Hey folks, Pastor Jason here again. I pray the message you just heard inspires you to draw closer to God. We also believe at United Church that it's very important to be connected to a local assembly. If you're in the Fergus Falls or surrounding area in Minnesota, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. If you're not and you're looking for a local church where you live, we'd love to help with that as well. Take the time to stop by our website, fergusunited.org. Send us a message letting us know where you live, and we would gladly connect you with a great local assembly. God bless. Until next time.